The Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Uh, Financing Solutions provides easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses. 
and I will be your host for today's nonprofit. I'm sorry, Entrepreneur MBA podcast. I actually host two podcasts. Sometimes I uh, screw it up. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about a line of credit for your business, which you know I, I firmly believe in it, I'm passionate about the idea that every business should have a line of credit just in case. And uh, now you can, you know pretty easily get one, uh, just visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. And it is a good deal. Don't, don't think it's not. Um, over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, in two, including two companies that made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people uh, with business experience, and today I'm excited to be speaking with Doug Thorpe from Headway Exec. Uh, and before we can get to uh, talking to Doug, I want to uh, talk about our sponsor, which is uh, TMG Technology Management Group. For 30 years now, they have been a leading provider of cybersecurity protection. And as most of you know, cybersecurity is no longer a nice to have. It's, uh, it's a must have. And if you haven't gotten hit, um, with any type of cybersecurity, consider yourself extremely lucky. And if you have gotten hit, you know how serious it can be. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about their product, about their services, about their consulting, uh, they can just answer questions for you if you have it. Uh, please visit their website at cyberctrl.net. Again, that's cyberctrl.net. And uh, since 2008, uh, Doug Thorpe has helped hundreds of leaders in all types of industries, our guest today, uh, to find new ways to be more effective running a business. Doug wants you to have greater influence and build stronger teams so that you can reap the benefits of a healthy business. Doug, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Yep. Uh, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about business, business owner leadership powered by common sense, um, how to become a better boss. And, uh, you know, when, when you are brought on as a coach, what have you found to be the number one biggest problem that business owners face with the idea behind leadership? We had some technical difficulties, so we're going to um, uh, repeat the best, last question I had with Doug, and that is, uh, from his experience, uh, Doug, from your experience with consulting, uh, you know, being a coach to a lot of entrepreneurs, what, what have you found in the observation of their issues with leadership? Well, what I found is those that set out to be entrepreneurs and create businesses are unique and special individuals, and I can definitely relate and empathize. I, too, have been an entrepreneur. I've started five different enterprises. But inevitably, what you look at when you see the trajectory, that business goes through various growth stages, and inevitably, as the 
business gets traction, starts to grow and gain market share, it may cap out at the founder's ability to really lead a bigger organization. And the only way businesses scale is by expanding the headcount, and that requires bona fide leadership skills. Yeah, so let's talk about the phases from your experience, and I'll, I'll, I'll chime in too. Um, when, when a company is under $3 million in revenue, again, I know it depends on the industry, but um, what, what have you found the, lead, uh, the leadership style or the leadership requirements are of a company that's under $3 million in revenue a year? Well, generally what happens is the owner-founder is involved in everything in the early stages, certainly in the startup phase and even into the very early stage of growth. But the owner, uh, you know, the joke is CEO means chief everything officer. And that owner-founder has their hand and their fingerprint on virtually every element whether it's uh, sales or closing or delivery. And they are in the process of trying to train people to do various steps and functions, but still they are not able to step away and have the business operate at the level they expect it to run. So there's that kind of, and some of that comes from kind of a pride of ownership. It's, hey, this is my idea and my baby. I want to be sure every piece of it gets done my way. And that's fine. That's a that's a great place to start. But that's one of the first hurdles that has to be overcome. And An owner has to get past that mindset. Yeah, I, I, I echo that. And I think, you know, there's, there's a, uh, a, a number of factors too. And that is, you know, when you're under $3 million, in most cases, you haven't really run a business before, potentially, right? right. Um, so you're learning what it's like to run a business. You're learning about, you know, your income statement. You're learning about what a balance sheet is. You're learning about how to manage employees. You're learning about the finances required in a business. You're learning about how to get customers. You're learning about marketing. There's just a lot being thrown at you. And I think, you know... I would tell you from personal experience, I think under 3 million, I was the worst leader you could possibly, when I started my first maybe two companies, I was the worst leader that possibly could be out there. And and I think, you know, looking back on it, I, I have to give myself a break in, in, in how I acted then because, you know, I'm trying to, at that time, was just trying to succeed. Right. right. And, okay. you know, and leadership, you know, in, in under three million is, uh, you know, it's it's not something you can just think about. It's just, you know, I, I would say it's more role model behavior than anything else because you're doing so much. I mean, would you agree with that? I agree. And and I think and to be clear, I'm not necessarily advocating all this higher end principles of leadership in that early stage. You're absolutely right. You've got to get the business off the ground. You, you have to prove the concept. You have to get some traction in the market. You have to gain some kind of market share, market presence, brand awareness, all of that, so that you are not just living paycheck to paycheck, but you've got to start 
developing a positive cash flow that not only pays the bills, but starts to produce a little you know, profit margin that you can bank and have that money for next step expansion of the business. Yep. So then comes the next phase. And when I talk phases, I'm not talking just because really leadership, I think, goes with the size of the organization. So, you know, it requires a different leadership approach. Um, so let's say after $5 million in revenue and below $10 million in revenue, what type of leadership um, have, you, have you seen and what happens in, in that regards? Typically at that point, and, and, and yeah, we can debate where the thresholds are money-wise, yep. <clears throat> but typically at that point, the owner feels the need to hire more people and the headcount starts to get to double digits. You know, you go from 10 to 15, maybe even 20 people. And with that, you start thinking about hiring team leaders or other managers to run functions. Like maybe you think about hiring an operations manager to run your plant facility, whatever that may be. Or you hire a sales manager to lead a couple of salespeople. And when you start building those layers in your company, that's ultimately where this notion of becoming a better leader starts to take root and starts to become a real thing that you need to consider. And if you're not good at delegating, if you're uncomfortable with giving up a little bit of control, you are still doing the white knuckle management kind of mindset. And that's where I come in to start helping owners change that attitude about their business, start creating some levels of trust and confidence that they can delegate, they can let go, they can rely on other people to scale and grow the business. Yeah, and I agree. I think, I feel like the $5 million, $10 million range for, you know, quote unquote leadership is the hardest um, point because you still have your, your hand in three different areas. You are still working um, in the business I, as you know, like, and I, I've used this on other podcasts. There's three phases. There's three parts of what job you fill as an owner, a worker bee or um, a worker bee, um, uh, a manager and a leader. And in that next phase from 5 million to 10 million, um, you're still in all three of those phases or, and you were, now you're more into, well, actually you've moved from work could be a manager to work could be manager and, and leader. Right. And so you, now you've added something to your plate, but hopefully you start having people who are working for you. And at this point too, the problem is, is that you have to start building systems and processes. And so, you, so you know, yes, do you have people working for you who can do more of the worker bee work? Yes, but you still are not out of the woods yet because now you've added building processes and procedures, um, and I call them best practices. But um, but then also comes the added um, knowledge that you need to move into a leadership role. 
And, and has, has that been the, your experience too as well, Doug? I, I agree totally. And, and you're absolutely right about the process and procedure requirements. What, uh, what I use is a four-part model that I coach from. It's a framework or a blueprint that I use to, to share and, and paint the picture for my clients. The, the four pillars in my model have to do with people, process, product, and performance. And the process bucket is where, to your point, the systems and procedures need to mature. They need to get standardized. They need to, you need to stop doing one-off custom orders and you need to get into more standardized delivery of your final product. Otherwise, you're going to be killing your margin every, every order you get. And as as we used to say in my banking days, when you're when you got a negative margin, you can't make that up with volume. <laughs> um, so, but you're right. As you start developing those processes and procedures, you need to think about leading the people through training, through modeling, modeling your own behavior. If if you say you want your company to have a certain brand. Well, you've got to be showing up representing every element of that brand, and you need to train, coach, and teach your people how to represent that brand as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put like two issues that happened. That I, you know, not there weren't just two, but one of them was so my second company that I had was a really, really good company, and that was very, very, very profitable. Um. And, you know, everything I learned, everyone talked about how you had to have, you know, that, that I needed a director of operations. And so I, I brought in a guy to be a director of operations. And honestly, he, there wasn't enough work for him, you know, it, and, it, and it eventually didn't work out. Um, and so when I started my third company, um, the, the second company was, was good. It was $6 million in revenue and it was a million dollars a year in profit, um, which is, you know, great margins. And, um, but you know, it, that there, there wasn't really enough work for an operations person. And so with the third company I had, what I learned to do is, um, I, I, gave one of my best employees that I really thought was, could be a really good manager. I gave her a dual role. So when we reached about 4 million in sales, I asked her to, um, to do her existing job, but also to, to be a team lead. Yeah. And, and she loved it because she saw that it was, there was a promotion that went on with it. I gave her more money and she was able to grow into that role. And, uh, and so, you know, one of the things, um, you know, I certainly learned is when you give people titles, they expect a lot more money. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, yeah. So I, you know, instead of saying, okay, now you're the director of operations. And I, I said to her, you know, I'd like you to be a team lead. I only had to give her a couple thousand dollars more. 
versus, you know, saying that you're now director of operations and I would have had to pay her, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars more. So it was it was a good idea that I had come up with at the time that you may not have to hire someone specifically to be the second in command. And by the way, she eventually became my second in command. Right. But, um, um, so that was just a little bit of insight as to, you know, bridging that gap before you get to that role where it, can, it requires a full-time person to be a second in command. Well, you raise a good point, and that is one of the biggest challenges that I've observed. And, and by the way, let me mention one of my vantage points that I bring to the table is that I was a business banker for more than 20 years. So I watched companies of all types and sizes go through these growing pains and these these journeys. And and that's really my my basis for formulating a lot of the thought and experience that I bring and and the big to your point the the big challenge is entrepreneurs typically when they feel the need to grow the company and expand they typically look into their closest circle of friends family and contacts to identify people that are willing to come on board and the 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 drivers that make that happen is sometimes you can't you feel like you can't afford to pay the market value for a particular role so some friend or even family member is willing to come help you at a lesser rate and so you you declare that a good deal but you've totally missed the capacity that that person has to really serve the need in the role and uh, a phrase that I've used is it's the question of hats versus heads and entrepreneurs typically go searching for heads to fill roles, but they need to start with defining the hat that that person needs to wear. Then you ask the question, well, does my candidate fit that hat? And it's a, that's a tough challenge. And believe me, I was guilty of it. I, in my first big venture that required a lot of people, I, I was relying on close contacts to serve some of those needs. And in the long run, they were not good fits for what I really needed at that company. Yeah, I, I, I had the same issue. Um, you know, a lot of times your best employee in one role does not make a good employee in another. Um, so it's something to be concerned with. And sometimes um, you got to remember, too, that that person needs support and training, too, regardless if they're good or not for that role. Um, so let's go into the next phase, and that is 10 to $25 million uh, yeah. a year. What, what type of leadership qualities um, goes into that phase? Well, I... I affectionately call that the takeoff phase. Your concept is fairly proven. You've got some market experience. Maybe you've got some customer testimonials that you can refer to. And now you're really ready to scale and grow the business. And that is one of the first places that the need for real leadership starts to show up. And the leadership part really involves being able to influence the people that you bring in and not just crack the whip and task them with work day by day. 
And that's kind of the classic definition of management. And when I talk to people, they ask me, well, you know, Doug, what do you think the difference between management and leadership is? And I have a simple one. I say management is about process, but leadership is about people. And you can't look at your people as additional widgets or, or levers that need to get pulled to make the business move forward. You have to look at them as maximizing what, what behavior and capacity they can bring, do something to inspire them to do the right thing and move forward train them, coach them, develop them so that they can serve your greater good. And that's the goal of the business. Yeah. If I were to answer that question too, it's a good uh, uh, question about what's the difference between management and leadership. I would say management is about, um, is about exceptional execution, whatever you need to do, to make sure that things are being executed extremely well is what management should be doing. And leadership to me is about strategy. You know, that you're, 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 you're figuring out where the company's going to go or how you're going to get to where you want to go. Um, so I think at, uh, you know, at 10 to 25 million, you've now re- moved into, well, there's a couple of issues. I, you know, um, one is, You've moved into that strategic role. You're looking at, is this time for someone to acquire us? Um, Is this time for us to look at acquiring other people? Is this time for uh, us to go after new industries? Uh, Because by this time, you have your model down. Um, And then I think the, the next thing that you need to look at is, um, or, you know, and then you're also looking at what's, what could really hurt our company. You know, what are things that, um, you know, I keep, cause it's going to keep me up at night. You know, honestly, from 10 million to 25 million, that's a stressful time because I think the lat, the latter part of what I said, what's, what could bring this company down is really what gets someone upset, uh, as a business owner, yeah. um, you know, has that, has that been your experience? Yeah, you know, to your point, there's a very delicate balancing that has to happen there. And one on one hand, you want to be smart about knowing your risks, knowing your exposure. And that's where something like a classic SWOT analysis that you, you do yep. periodically comes in. Know your strengths, know your weaknesses, look at your opportunities and address your threats. Well, the other side of that coin is operating out of sheer fear that it's all going to crash tomorrow. And I can't tell you how many business owners I know that uh, the truth be told, that's what they're doing every day of their life. They're, they're operating in a, in a panic mode. It, It may not, it may not be seen out outwardly, but, they have put themselves under so much pressure to protect against the fear of losing it all that they really start to lose sight of decisions they need to make and and steps they need to take to to sustain the growth and even even achieve some of those other things you talked about. Yeah, and also I think, you know, 
10 to 25 million, the owner starts getting a lot more involved in financing as well. Um, because when you start to reach those levels, it's, it's sometimes challenging to get self-financing because you start wanting to make a big jump. self right. And what I mean by self-financing is um, re, being able to, to reinvest all the profits back in the company. Um, because when you are at 10 million, you know, if, you know, to get to 12 million is that's not that big a deal in financing, but most of the time you have this vision that, oh, I want to increase by 30, 40, 50% year over year. And, you know, getting from 10 million to 20 million, that's a big leap. And from your experience as a banker. Um, what, what did you see, uh, uh, owners do? Well, you're right. And those growth steps that companies see the opportunity to take when you're in a small business, even, even that range you're talking about 10, 15, 20, 25 million your incremental investment, your capital spend you might have to make to go to the next level is is large. And give an example, if, if you're doing some kind of manufacturing and you've got a, a machine press out on your shop floor, you know, that thing may cost 50, 75 or $100,000 just for that one unit. And you say, well, I'm, I max my capacity. I, I want to increase capacity. Well, you have to make that quantum jump to that next level by adding a second machine. So, you know, writing a check for $100,000 is not an easy fix in most cases. So you're, you're out there seeking financing to cover that. And that's where, you know, people come to in, in either bankers or, or finance sources like you. And they they ask for lines of credit to, to make that investment. But when, when you plot that out in the growth of the company in terms of baseline expense, you see these giant stair-step movements that plot the growth of the company. In a bigger business like a publicly traded company, well, you know, if their top side revenue is a hundred million dollars and they want to buy that hundred thousand dollar piece of machinery, that's a blip on their radar. And so it's not the same magnitude of decision making that uh, it would be for that smaller business owner. Yeah, my I, so I had a really good mentor for 20 years and, and he would say that 20 million dollars a year in revenue mark is a real problem. Because at that point, at twenty million, you either need to look at bringing in venture capital, um, or you need to, you know, uh, potentially think about going public, um, uh, or you need to kind of, or you need to um, get bought. Uh, you know, that twenty million dollar mark is an issue because. I think he also used to say that when you're getting in that to that, you know, $20 million mark, you're starting to go up against the big boys in your industry. And you're no longer a scrappy upstart. Right. 
You know, you're, you're, you're going to have to, because I don't care what business you're in. You always have competition. And, um, and, and so that $20 million mark is a real, a, a real issue. And so let's bring it back to leadership requirements at that phase. Um, when you've seen people at the $20 million in revenue a year mark, what type of leadership qualities do they have? Well, usually those that have made it to that level have made a couple of the attitude and mindset shifts they need to make. They have, they have typically, in most cases, they've sought coaches and advisors to help them think through those changes they need to make. Usually they've joined a peer-to-peer mastermind type program where they can meet with like-minded owners who have had the same levels of success and they can share best practices and, and, and pick each other's brains about ways to, to move forward. And it, it's, it's the owner that might have hit that level of productivity without making those mindset shifts that inevitably will cause the company to crash. And that's the part that made me the the most, you know, discouraged or dissatisfied or unhappy about my clients in banking is that you, you could watch these people, you, you knew they needed to make other decisions than the ones they were making, but they refused to do so because they would take attitudes like, I know what I'm doing. I've already achieved this level of success. You can't change me. You can't make me do anything different. And it it was that narrow, closed-minded thinking that inevitably would cause the company to crash. Yeah. And I mean, looking back, the other thing I would say too, going back to coaching, mastermind groups, even entrepreneur organization, the entrepreneur organization, just be careful because I think if you're going to bring on a coach um, uh, or if you're going to get into a mastermind group, you know, sometimes you get into that early when you're like 2 million or 3 million and you stay in those groups or you stay with that coach. But uh, from personal experience, I, I had a coach for 10 years. I outgrew that coach and I didn't recognize that. Absolutely. You know, and so – I, you know, you got to be careful. You got to look for a coach. To me, a coach, a consultant, a a mastermind group, or whatever. You know, you need to have people in there who have done it before or have been around similar circumstances, because there is a quite a bit difference in somebody in somebody who's you know maybe build a five million dollar company versus someone that's built a twenty million dollar company. And so, you know, it's okay to move on to another coach. I'm sure people like Tiger Woods, uh, Novak Djokovic, you know, uh, you know, a lot of other famous sports figures have moved on from their coaches. Oh, yeah. No, you, it's a great point. And uh, the interesting thing, the same is actually true when you're in that growth mode and you're trying to expand your company and you're thinking about hiring key people on your team, 
you don't want to promote up somebody that's been with you since day one. If, if you're sitting at 10 million and you want to go to 20, you need to hire somebody that's been at 20. They know how 20 looks. They know how it operates. They know what it takes. You want to bring somebody with that level of experience in to get you there to that level. And you're right. Same is true with the mastermind group and or the coach you hire. You want somebody that's already there, already been there, knows the landscape, knows the game. Yeah, I, um, that's a tough decision to, uh, to bring on someone from the outside to do, uh, you know, hire somebody um, to help you get from 10 million to 20 million because you, you better believe you're going to step on some toes in your existing organization when you go to do that because I'm sure the second in command person that you've had to that point is going to get upset. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. And it, it does happen all the time. But ultimately, the ones that make the move, make it happen and get all the way to that new level, they're willing to make that those bold decisions and make those moves like that. And they figure out how to satisfy that you know, faithful employee that's been with them since day one, they figure out other options and alternatives for that person. Yeah. And just to share with everybody, I haven't had personal experience in that situation. Although my companies have gotten to 25 million, you know, they, they have the companies that I have grown, um, the two that I, well, I, I have three right now, but two of them that have gotten to 25 million, they were purposely built to not have a lot of employees. And so um, that, you know, and then the other ones I had before had reached a run rate of 11 million and then uh, 6 million. And, and I didn't have those issues. I think there becomes a point where it's really hard, you know, it's really hard to find people to advise you um, I, unless you want to pay the bucks. Really, if you really, if you want to pay the big bucks, as for to get to bring on a consultant, um, or if you want to bring on a coach, you're going to have to really pay big time. My experience to get people with experience who have done it before, right? Just let's face it: someone who's built a thirty, forty million dollar company. One, there's not a lot of them out there, and number two is they don't want a coach. I know I don't want a coach. You know, so you you may just have to find that you're going to wing it. You know, yeah. yeah. Has that that been your experience too? Well, um, I, I'm not going to say that's the absolute game. I, I I do think you're right. I think usually people that have achieved that higher level of success, they, they maybe have sold the company, they got their big payday, and and now they believe they're set for life, so they can go pursue other interests. And you're right, it won't be involved with coaching other entrepreneurs to to get there. So th that element is true, but at the same time, there are a lot of coaches and advisors that love the game and therefore they want to bring that expertise to the market and they do make themselves available. And yes, you know, they, they charge some bigger fees to do that. Yeah, I, I think it used to be called the Young Presidents Organization. Um, I don't know what they're called now. But that was that organization, which uh, was similar to the entrepreneur organization, uh, the young president's uh, organization um, 
that had much bigger companies in it. And what I found was the entrepreneur organization, which I was a member of for a long, long, long time, versus the Young Presidents Organization. Young Presidents Organization had uh, much, much big companies, but a lot of companies, but a lot of times there were um, um, partners involved, a lot of partners. There was um, uh, angel funding deals involved, uh, whereas the entrepreneur organization, which is like, there's like 15,000 members throughout the United States, are much uh, smaller businesses are singly owned. So, um, you know, there is some, there is some insight into, um, you know, where maybe you could take a look at this to find other like-minded. I mean, I always felt that I learned over a period of time that there's strength in numbers and, um, you know, I belong to the same entrepreneur organization group with my forum group, which was nine guys. And we've been together for over 20 years. And I, I definitely would tell you, we would all tell you that we did a, better job of surviving not just the business life, but our personal lives because we stuck together for so long. Yeah. Well, you're right. And that's often the testimony that, that people give for finding a group that has good chemistry and, and good trust, high levels of trust and confidentiality. And it is personal growth as well as business growth. Yep. Well, I, you know, uh, Doug, it was a uh, a really good podcast. I know it would be. That's all the time we have for today. I would like to thank so very much Doug Thorpe from Headway Exec for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. Uh, and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. I think I have close to close to 500 episodes now. And, you know, the way I look at this is every single episode is a way for you to learn more. And Doug gave us great insight into leadership today that's required. Um, So if you like today's podcast or any of our other ones, please give us a five-star review. And, of course, if you're looking for a line of credit, please visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. Doug, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Best thing to do, Stephen, is hop over to my website at dougthorpe.com. That's T-H-O-R-P-E.com. I've got a lot of information. There's links to my own podcast, which, as you alluded to, is called Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And uh, reach out, drop me a note, let me know if you need some help or simply would like to have a chat. I am willing to do a, a complimentary discovery call. We can just talk about your situation and I'll let you know whether I've got any ideas or people in my network that can help. Great, Doug. Thanks for coming on today. Yes, sir. Thank you. So, I mean, a summary of what my takeaway from Doug today was, is that I think leadership is a learned skill. It, it isn't something that you are just born with. It You have to learn it. And what we showed today and what Doug talked a lot about is the different phases of leadership skills that are required. It's nice to know a little bit of a roadmap that as your company grows, your leadership skills are going to have to improve and change. So just keep that in mind, you know, that you once you get past that startup phase, that you're going to have to spend some time listening to podcasts on leadership reading books on on podcasts, learning what type of leader you are. 
it's something that's going to be critical to the to the growth of your company and to yourself. All right. Other than that, uh, I wish everybody a great day. Please make sure you get out and take care of yourself first. You can't be of any help to anybody else if you're not taking really good care of yourself. Other than that, have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye.